Thank you for joining us. Make sure you hit like, subscribe, and that notification button so you can catch all episodes that are coming out here. I'm Michael Adams, Grave Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Leroy Thompson. We have an interview for you tonight with a, a third-round draft pick out of Nebraska where he was an All-American. Uh, he was an 11-year NFL guard with the Bears and the Seahawks. And then he finished out with one year in the original USFL. So going back here a little ways. Uh, he was with the Chicago Blitz, briefly with Boston. So we have Bob Newton here. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, it's great to be with you. I always like to talk football. So, <laughs> Awesome. So interview only tonight. Brian, start us out. All right, Bob, so you grew up in the Los Angeles area and, and played football at John Glenn High School in Norwalk. Um, what were those early days like for you? Difficult. I, I, was, uh, I was a very – I was terrible uh, my first year I went out for football, which was uh, my sophomore year. My freshman year, I was kind of – I was almost flunking out of high school, and uh, the – athletic director there said, you know, Bob, once you go out for football, because I was a pretty big kid at that time, just once you go out for football, and I think it'd really be good for you. And I go, well, I've never played. I, I used to watch Pop Warner football every Saturday, but I was always too big, you know, to to meet the weight skill for my age. So I did that, and that first year was just a real orientation, man. I mean, uh, I was too big for the the B teams and everything, so I just got the crap knocked out of me almost every day. <laughs> and but I didn't quit. I didn't quit. I came back, and and then I just I got a little bit better each year. But I I had I think I had one scholarship coming out of high school, and that was the Santa Barbara University. They didn't even have football now. So I went to a junior college after that, but I had, I had great coaching. I had coaches that took their time with me and brought me along. I had some great teammates in high school that helped me. Uh, and I, I really liked football, the family part of it. My question, Mr. Newton is, uh, you know, like, like Michael mentioned at the beginning, you played for Nebraska. And of course, one of the first things people think about with Nebraska is national titles. My question to you is, what about that team in 1970 was so special, that Nebraska Cornhusker team? And, I mean, how were you able to help bring home hardware for the first ever national title for such a big school? Yeah, that was – you know, they, they'd had a – when Coach Devaney got there in 1962, uh, they, they brought him down from Wyoming. He had been – he had had a very competitive team, you know, year after year. I think they played in two or three uh, games that they could have won the national championship against Alabama, but I think they got beat, and I think one other school. So then they had a couple uh, tough years, which was tough years for them. They were six and four uh, in 1967 and 1968, and they they Coach Devaney and his staff, which included Coach Osborne. Coach Devane was the head coach, of course, and then Coach Osmer was the offensive coordinator. And they just started making some – they felt they needed to make some changes. And one of those changes, they felt they needed to, to start expanding their recruiting areas, and they started recruiting in, in Southern California, the, the state of California. They thought they needed some offensive linemen. So 
they uh, they they offered me a scholar. I wanted to go to USC really, really bad, but every Southern California kid does. <laughs> but, and they had called me and they said, you know, we're, we're really interested in you, Bob, because my my idol at that time was uh, Ron Yeri, who's an NFL Hall of Famer. And we played at the same junior college at Cerritos College. Uh, he was three years ahead of me, though. But I followed him, and I went to SC Games and watched him play. So that was my that that and San Diego State. Don Coriel was the uh, head coach of San Diego State, and uh, they offered me a, a scholarship. But I tell you, Coach Osborne just he was he's one of the hardest working men I've ever seen in my life. I mean, uh, on the field. You know, uh, he after practices and two days, he'd run around the he'd run around the start jogging around the field for about an hour just to wrap everything up. <laughs> you oh, know, wow. I mean, he just I couldn't believe the energy he had. Very very intelligent man, and uh, you know, we got we had some super players. Of course, Johnny Rogers was a sophomore that year, and he he was just a he was a he was a uh, lightning lightning speed and just he was a threat anywhere on the field and we had a great defense our our uh, black shirt defense was was very very good and we had a you know we had a good good offensive line and uh you know we had a couple quarterbacks that were uh well we had Jerry Taggy was the main quarterback but we had Van Bronson and Jerry Tag so the year before that 69 before the national championship, we were nine and two that year. And at the end of that, we played in the Sun Bowl and we beat Georgia like 45 to six. And a lot of writers at that time, I think we were ranked six or seven in the nation. But a lot of the writers thought, you know, after the season and the way we dominated Georgia, that they thought we might have been one of the best teams in the in the nation at that time with that nine and two record. So we went into 1970 with a lot of confidence. And uh, we had, you know, like I said, we had Johnny Rogers was was a junior uh, in 70. And we had Richie Glover, who ended up being a Outland Trophy winner, Larry Jacobson, Willie Harper on defense, Jeff Kinney on offense. And so we just had a lot of offensive power and a, and a great defense and it just came together and it came together on new year's day january 1st when we when we played in the orange bowl that day it, when the game started we were ranked number three in the nation at that time on on january 1st 1971 the day of the, the orange bowl we were ranked number three in the nation and texas was number one and Ohio State was number two. Texas got knocked off by Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. And then Jim, and with Joel Theismann, had a great game for Notre Dame. And then uh, Jim Plunkett, the quarterback for Stanford, had a great day against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. And they beat, they beat the, the Buckeyes there. And so when we're, we're, when we're, we're traveling to the, they're taking us. We're in a, we're on the team bus going to, to the stadium, and they made an announcement that uh, that 
both of those teams, those undefeated teams have been defeated and we're the only undefeated team left. So the bus went crazy, man. <laughs> yelling and screaming and, and everything. And then Danny gets up, he goes, all right, listen, I want your attention. We still have a game to play here, you know? So <laughs> we calmed things down. So we, we got, we started concentrating again, but man, we were fired up. But the, those LSU Tigers, they weren't, they weren't a real big team, but they were, they were tough football. They, they played tough football there in that Southeast, man. And they, uh, they, you know, the, the score ended up being 17 to 12, but it was, uh, it was a great, it was a great uh, ending to my career there at Nebraska, and I just I have great endearment for that state and the football program there. That's nice. That's well, awesome. Well, Bob, uh, 1971, you're, you're drafted by the Chicago Bears. Uh, Gail Sayers is still with the team at that point. Brian Piccolo, sadly, had just passed away a year earlier. Uh, we all know the story of that beautiful friendship. Uh, were, were the Bears players still talking about that when you were there? And, and also, what was it like playing with Gail? Well, you know, Gail was at the end of his career, and I think 71, he retired midseason or somewhere. He, I don't think he even finished the season out. One of the last runs I saw Gail, I think, was in, a, in an exhibition game against St. Louis in in 71 exhibition season. And he was hobbling, trying to go around the the corner, you know, and uh, it it was it was obvious he he couldn't he couldn't run he couldn't run like he used to, and it's because of the 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 knee injuries that he had. So I he retired at that time in the '71 season, and uh, you know I heard all kinds of stories, but you know one of the 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 movie Brian song which was, that was, a lot of the filming was at our training camp that year in 71 in Rensselaer, Indiana. The Bears trained there for about 200 years. <laughs> Not that long, but we, they were there a long time. And, uh, but uh, we, you know, I was a rookie, man. I, I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just taking orders, you know. So, uh, but we saw these people walking around our training camp and that was J uh, James Kahn. Uh, nobody knew who he was at that time, as far as an actor. <laughs> and Billy D. Williams, who played Gail, nobody knew who, who he was either. Really, they weren't. They had not, you know, uh, had been, uh, you know, reached their epic notoriety yet. And after that movie, both of them became superstars. Right, and right. it was. They said they felt the people, you know, Ed Bradovich participated in it a little bit. Dick Buckus, I think. Abe Gibran, our our defensive coordinator coach at that time, he was in a few shots. But that was really that was really interesting seeing that that movie after they, because a lot of those shots were in Rensselaer, Indiana. And All right. When you're a rookie, man, in those days. You know, I had to get veterans their dinner. <laughs> and, and, you know, I had to, I'm, I'm exhausted sitting at the table, and I hear, hey, Newton, yeah, go get me another round of food. Okay. So, <laughs> then, I mean, it, 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 we were subservient to the vets, man. 
And then they, they, you know, when they wanted to entertain it, hey, Newton, go up there and sing the Nebraska fight song. So I go, <laughs> hell, I didn't even know it. I just go Big Red, go Big Red. But anyway, <laughs> I don't think that stuff now, these rookies are making too much money now to be picking up dinners and stuff and doing entertainment. But it was, it was kind of, it was just a, uh, you, you did that stuff to get to fit in. You know, right, and, right, uh, and 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 show some humility too. So, well, you know, they loved you too because you had a nickname, so that's always a good sign too. So, Newt, big, uh, <laughs> that started uh, that started at Nebraska. Uh, that that nickname and it, it stuck. I didn't like it at first, man. I mean, <laughs> the first guy that started coming, I go, hey, no, no, it's Bob. That's my name. <laughs> Well, what's your last name? And I said, Newton. He goes, well, like Fig Newton, right? <laughs> so the press got a hold of it, and boy, they they went with it. Yeah, that guy's name, he was a kid from, you know, I'd never been out of California, and I and I, I started, you know, I had, we had guys from all over, Jersey, Pennsylvania on the, on the, on the roster. And those, those Eastern guys had a different personality than I was kind of laid back California, you know. And th those those PA guys, they were they were great guys. But his name was Bob Pappas. He's the one that started that. He was a teammate of mine, and uh, middle guard. But yeah, it stuck. When I was in Chicago, I I took some pictures holding some in my Bears uniform, holding Nabisco cookies, uh, Fig Newton cookies. <laughs> and, you know, and it's and we we were taking pictures of me eating. You know eating a, a Fig Newton, and we wrote a letter to Nabisco, and we said, hey, there really is a Fig Newton in the NFL, you know? <laughs> I was trying to get a little, you know, offensive linemen were not doing commercials back then, okay? So <laughs> so it was a reach anyway. But, <laughs> hell, we never, we never even heard back from it, man. They oh. probably just said. But it was fun, and, it, you know, it's kind of, it's, it doesn't, people, a lot of my friends call me that, and it's, it's, it's cool. Well, well, my question, Mr. Newton, is uh, I, I had a question about coming up as an offensive lineman, coming into the NFL, your early playing days. What Was there an offensive lineman that you modeled your play after that you wanted to be like that you had watched as a child or as a young man? Yeah. Well, like I said, Ron Yeri was, was an idol of mine, uh, and he was a two-time All-American at USC. And then Ron was the first offensive lineman ever to be drafted number one in the NFL draft. He, he was the first one. He's the one that started that trend. And that was in 1968. Uh, but they knew he was good. But, you know, and since then, there's been, you know, hundreds or not, I don't know about hundreds, but there's been many offensive linemen. But, you know, I, I uh, you know, that's, a, that's another good – Bob Brown, who's a perennial – all pro. He was from Nebraska, University of Nebraska. And uh, I, I, you know, he was, he was a lot bigger than I was, but I remember Bob Devaney when he came out and recruited me at, you know, to come to Nebraska. You know, I don't know how him, how the, Coach Devaney and Coach Osmond got around in California. There was no GPS then. <laughs> and, 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 you know, all the freeways and the highways, I, I don't know. 
I, I don't know how people got around without GPS, you know, <laughs> but uh, he came out and we were talking. He goes, you know, Bob, uh, we got an offensive lineman there at Nebraska that's in, he's playing pro ball now. His name's Bob Brown. And I remember reading an article about, about Bob Brown uh, two years before that, when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles and how good he was. He was a great young offensive tackle and huge. Bob, Bob Brown was one of the big offensive linemen that started that trend. And uh, he said, Bob, this guy lifted weights in his dorm room at night. Just kept wearing, he could push a seven man sled by himself. Now, you guys, have you guys seen those? You've seen those seven men. It's, yeah, it's hard yeah, to push exactly. them with seven guys. It's hard to push it if you got seven guys pushing it, you know. And for him to be able to do that, that you know, it's just it's phenomenal strength. So, you know, he, he, said, he said a big trend there in, in Nebraska to, to uh, follow as far as offensive line play. And uh, – you know, Jimmy Cadill, who was the starting right guard at Chicago when I got there, he was an 11, 12-year veteran, and I watched him a lot. You know, I had Jim Ringo. You remember Jim Ringo? He's a good one. I, yep. Yeah, he was he was our line coach my freshman year or my rookie year, and uh, and he came to me midway through. The, they drafted me as a tackle, and I was playing left tackle, backing up a veteran that my rookie year. And Jim says, you know, Newton, we're going to move you to, to guard. He goes, uh, I, I think you're, you're more fitted to play guard. And, man, it was music to my ears. <laughs> at Nebraska, when we had plays where I got to pull, I loved it. And in that era of the NFL in 71, we were, they were still running the Green Bay sweep. Both guards pull in, you know. And so I loved to run in the open field. And uh, – he he goes. We just and so they moved me midseason. They moved me to right guard, and uh, and then I started at right guard the next year in '72. So, but Jimmy Cadill was a great model of hard work, and you know, just just takes time. That's offensive linemen when they get experience, they, they're very valuable because it's so unique. It's a unique position, you know. Defense, you can, you know, with a lot of intensity and everything, you can get to the ball. But offense, you got to, you got to have that intensity. Plus, you got to have a lot of technique behind it, you know, which is a lot of hard work of repetition. So, in 1976, the NFL expands. They add the Seattle Seahawks. We know that made Leroy happy there. So, Ooh. I, I just wanted to know, <laughs> you know, how did the city react to having a team, and what was your experience like there, uh, being part of an expansion team? Thanks, right? The uh, the city, I think that was one of the smartest NFL decisions that they that they made uh, up to that point is to have a expand have an NFL team in Seattle. They were hungry for professional football. Then you know they got that twelve man, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know that nickname, the twelve man, to for their fans. That twelve, that twelve man started the first year. I, th I think every one of our games were sold out, and 
you know, if we got a first down, we got a standing ovation that first year, you know. I mean, they, they were so excited for football. And, uh, and you know, we, we only won three games that first year, but we showed sparks of, of that we could be good. We, we had Steve Largent, uh, who was a rookie. We picked him up from the Houston Oilers. Bum Phillips said it was the worst personnel decision he'd ever made in his life is letting Steve Largent go. And he was just a super, super player, super teammate, tough. Uh, but we had Mike Curtis, who was our defensive captain. They got Mike, Mike and Mike was, Mike was still resentful and angry that the Colts let him go in the expansion draft. I mean, he goes, hey, he said, I can't wait till we play. The, I got to know Mike a little bit. And he goes, I I can't wait till we play the Colts, man, because I'm gonna I'm gonna be all over the field, man. <laughs> you know, because he because he played there, you know, Super Bowls and everything. But he was a, an intense player, uh, just an ideal linebacker uh, with intensity. And but we showed, I thought we showed. Uh, we won, like I said, we won three games, and we showed some spark that you know we had pretty. Fiery offense. We had a couple of good, uh, our running back, Sherman Smith, was a good running back. Jimmy Zorn, our quarterback, uh, was was real solid as a left-hander. We ran the we ran a draw plays. It was called 66-67 sprint draw, where you know the flow of the play went to would come go to the right. And Jimmy would kind of take two or three steps and then hand it to the uh, running back. And then the running back, so everybody's going this way, and the running back would cut it back. I think we averaged about six yards up, uh, up, uh, down on that on that play. So we had Jerry Rome was our offensive coordinator, which he knew Steve. He coached Steve Large at Telsa. And he's the one that recommended that we draft Steve or that we make make plans to get Steve if he's on on waivers. So so it was a long year. I mean, but and again I'm thinking, God, here, you know, this is it. This is my NFL career. I'm gonna be on it now. You know, I've been with the Bears five years and no uh no winning season. Go to 76, no winning season. Then in 77, I got hurt in training camp. Hurt my shoulder pretty significantly, and I missed the three, three or four games and then played towards the end. But I think we won five games. And then in 78, uh, we put it all together, and we ended up being nine and seven, and we missed the playoffs by one game. We would have made the, probably the playoffs in today's the way they have it now, the system, you know, but we beat the Raiders twice that year. Uh, it was a, it was a pretty good, it was a good, good, good run for us. And of course, Steve, I think that was the first year Steve was chosen for the Pro Bowl, Steve Largent and all pro. And uh, so 79, we came back nine and seven. And then uh, 80 and 81 was, Pretty up and down, and then I was I was let go uh, at the end of the '82 training camp, and a lot of that had to do. If you guys did some 
research, I had a severe drinking problem and other drugs problems too. So it just, it just at the end there, just overwhelmed me. And I just, you know, you're playing up there. I'm playing, I was 33 years old. I'm going against 23, 25, 27 year old people. And I just, you know, my, uh, my performance just deteriorated. So he let me go. But that's when I went to the, anyway, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead. Well, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> Good, Brian. But, well, Bob, you know, people forget, and maybe many young fans don't even know that the Seahawks were in the AFC West uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s and had some fun rivalries with the, the Chargers, Chiefs, and Raiders, and Broncos. So what do you remember about those AFC West battles, and, and which team sort of stood out as, like, the biggest rival for your Seahawks? Good question. Uh, well, I think the, the we couldn't beat the Chargers. We didn't beat the Chargers until uh, 81. And we played them every year. And we finally beat them. We beat them pretty good in 1981. But uh, they were they were tough, man. They, you know, they were a playoff team every year. And they were, and the Raiders, you know, the Raiders, they, the Raiders won the Super Bowl in 1981, I think. Or from the 81 season. But, yeah. And Denver, Denver was tough year in and year out, and so was Kansas City. So it was a very competitive uh, conference division. And they, I, I can't even remember the year they moved us. Uh, I, I was gone, I think, by then, but they're, uh, but it was a, it was a great competitive conference because. You know, we, we lost some real close games in that era, too, to some of those teams, you know, like by three points, missing a field goal with the last play. Of the, but we had some real tough losses towards the end on some of those on some of those games. But there were some great players in that conference over the years. You know, you had Dan Fouts at San Diego, and he, <clears throat> he was a great quarterback. Um, Kenny Stabler was at Oakland. Uh, I can't remember who Kansas City had at the time. I think they had a couple of different quarterbacks, but um, it's tough, tough conference. All right. <clears throat> My question, Mr. Newton, is during your 11 years uh, playing in the NFL, I'm sure you faced some very, you know, like you mentioned, younger, faster defensive players. Which of those defensive players – come to mind when you think we're the hardest to game plan for or to face off against and play against? Well, the first one I'd have to mention is Merlin Olson. Merlin Olson, when I was a senior at John Glenn High School, Merlin Olson was already an all-pro with the Los Angeles Rams, okay? so And then when we played the Los Angeles Rams in Soldiers Field when I was Chicago in 72, they named me offensive captain for the game. And so we go out there before the game and, and Merlin's uh, captain for their defense. I think Roman Gabriel was out there. And I can't remember our off. I think it was Bobby Douglas, our quarterback. But I remember I go, what the hell am I doing? We're right in the middle of Soldiers Field. It's packed. Game's getting ready to start. And I got Merlin Olsen like, this far from me, across from my, you know, who was a 
a, he was a raging idol in high school, you know, and it was, it was a hell, he was, he's one of the smart, not only was he big and strong and quick, but he's very smart, very intellectual player. I could have swore he was in our huddle, man. <laughs> Every I mean, he just seemed to know our plays, you know, and so uh, you could tell that he really studied, he studied hard, but he was, he was a massive, uh, he could, he was real quick on his feet and he was about 280. And just very smart, and uh, and he he went hard every play. And I went up to him after the game. I said, "Thank you very much for uh, the lesson today, Mr. Olson. Uh, <laughs> you did a good job." Uh, but he he beat me he beat me a couple times, caused some havoc in the backfield. It's bar it was it's always embarrassing. I played him a couple more times. I did a little better, but. He was definitely a solidified all-pro and a great guy. I met him later after football. Curly Culp was another great uh, Hall of Fame defensive lineman. He was very, very uh, – he, was, he was, wasn't a real tall guy, but he was huge, man. I mean, he was – I guess he was a national champion wrestler, too, when he was at Arizona State. So he, he knew how to use his hands real well and all like that. So he he was hard that whole game. I'll tell you another guy that was – I don't think he got enough credit for it. was a guy named Louis Kelcher who played uh, defensive tackle for the Chargers. And Louis was about 6'5", 280, 285, and he was quick, smart, tough, and he, he was challenging at times. But I had, you know, we I had great line coaches. I had Sam Bogosian my rookie year, and Sam coach helped coach the when he left us, he went to the Raiders. He coached the offensive line for the Raiders for the two years they won the Super Bowl. And then we had Howard Mudd, who was a former all pro in the 60s, and he became our line coach, and he helped me out a lot. He helped me break a lot of bad habits that I had developed over the years, especially in my footwork and my and using my hands. He was a technician, but he was a very smart football player. And he was great to have there for, for the remaining of my career. He, he helped extend my career, there's no doubt about it. And um, so, you know, we, you got to scheme. These guys that are really, really good, you got to scheme them. You know, you got to come, you can't just say, well, I mean, you hope you can. But sometimes you got to find a way to free somebody up to help you a little bit now and then, you know. And uh, so the coaches, those coaches in the NFL, they, they're pretty smart. So they don't want just one guy beating you. Right. Thank you. Matuzak. Oh, I forgot. Matuzak. He was – did you guys ever get to stand next to him? No. No, <laughs> no. no. He was huge, man. I'm telling you, he was huge. And he would wear – those Raiders would – they taped up their forearms. I could have swore they were casts, you know. <laughs> and one of his favorite moves was as soon as the ball was – you know, his arm was about 10 feet long. And he had this freaking cast at the end of it. And it, when the ball was high, that's the first thing he did is swing that arm right in it at your <laughs> head, man. Wow, oh, he was he was a big strong guy. When he really wanted to come, 
he was phenomenal. Of course, Joel Green. I played against Joel three times, three or four times. Phenomenal player. You know, he's he's deserved all the honors he's received and great leader for the for the Steelers. So, yeah, it got pretty exciting in the middle there at times. <laughs> Never a boring moment, let's put it that way. Oh, I can imagine. It sounds physical. You bet. You bet. So in uh, 1983, uh, you briefly, uh, as I mentioned during the intro, in, in the USFL with Boston and Chicago, um, I just kind of want to get, like, your thoughts on the league. I mean, did you feel it was talent-wise as good as the NFL? I know they were starting to take a lot of players in the draft that, you know, we all wanted to see in the NFL, but they ended up going to the USFL because of the money. So I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, thank you. I, You know, I had a lot of respect for the USFL, and I really, at that time, they they had kind of like a, uh, a farm system. So, like the Boston Breakers, if if I if you go to if you went to Nebraska, then and you wanted to play in the USFL, you you were the Boston Breakers like territory. So you had to sign with them. So they kind of split the country up that way for for the teams. It was kind of a unique system. So when I went to Boston in uh, that er, that winter of '83, they they had a lot of former Nebraska players there that I knew, and uh, that was that was neat. I felt you know kind of at home a little bit. But we had a great coach, Dick Corey, uh, who coached in the NFL for a long time. Dick also coached out here at Modern Day high school and helped put them on the map initially, which they modern days a phenomenal high school program. But uh, I got there, but you know, guys, my drinking problem had escalated. I, you know, it, you know, every year my drinking problem got worse and, you know, I was getting drunk every night and then going out there and trying to practice in the heat and the, in Florida, we were in Florida in our training camp at Central, Central Florida, I believe was the campus. And, uh, you know, I just, just deteriorated, you know, I even came to, I'll never forget, I, I came to a team meeting intoxicated and coach Corey's up there giving a talk, you know, and I started yelling during the meeting, you guys aren't paying me enough, man. I need to, Make some more money. I mean, it was so, so I don't know how, I don't, I don't even know what happened that, that whole night. I can't really remember a lot of it, but I remember getting a knock at the door at the hotel that early morning and said, Co Coach Corey wants to see you, Bob. And he said, Bring your playbook. So that was when they say, Bring your playbook, you're done. Okay. So I, I got to his office and he, he told me, he says, You know, Bob, you don't get some help and I come from significant family background of alcoholism he said if you don't get some help man you're gonna you're gonna end up in bad shape you know like homeless or skid row and all that and you know it kind of went in one ear and out the other you know and they brought me in there to be a leader on the offensive line you know I I was thinking yeah they they're cutting me you know my ego was out of whack and you know they cut me, and I wrote a letter to the team saying I, I had to retire because I had a bad knee, which was 
I did have, I didn't have a real good knee, but it, that's not the reason. It was because of my drinking. Then about two weeks later, I get a call from George Allen, the Chicago Blitz. And, and they said, well, you know, we'd like for you to come because they didn't put it in the papers that I was cut because of my drinking. So George just thought, you know, maybe my knee will be okay now that I've given it some rest. And I said, well, God, yeah, I'd love to play for the Chicago Blitz and George Allen and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. And so they, they, first of all, I went to Washington Federals and and I really didn't get back to George Allen, but while I'm there, they 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 get a call. I get a call from the Blitz, and they talk me into coming to Chicago, even though I was in at the Federals, the Washington Federals. I was they wanted to give me a tryout too, so I left that night for Chicago. The coach at Washington was angry that this George Allen, look what he's doing here. You know, he's pulling players. You know, out of our training camps and like we're not. I thought we weren't going to do that in the USFL and stuff like that. And so, went to the Blitz. I was there about three weeks. Just terrible, just terrible. Coach Allen called me in uh, after the third game, and he goes, he sat me down. He goes, you know, Bob, that was one of the worst offensive performances I've ever offensive line performances I've ever seen talking about my performance because I got to let you go. So that's the way I left the, the league. And that was in probably February of 83. And I finally got into rehab in July of 80, July of 83. And, you know, I got you know, treatment work for me. And, and then I just, I've ended up working in the field for 30 about 36 years helping others, you know, so. Well, yeah, Bob, can, can you tell us a little bit more about your, about your work as a counselor, uh, helping people with chemical addiction? Yeah, it's, you know, when I was in treatment, I, 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 I had all these myths, what someone that had a drinking problem looked like. And a lot of them were winos on Skid Row, you know, and, and it was a myth. And I, I, I was ignorant about addiction and they started educating me in treatment and they you know that it's it's progressive there's signs and symptoms of it early signs middle signs late stage signs and and by that time and then when they did the assessment on me they said you're a late stage alcoholic addict had a problem with pot started smoking pot pretty early on as an adolescent and then I started, I got introduced to cocaine in 1974 in Chicago. And it was introduced to me, I'll never forget it. It was introduced to me as a recreational drug. And, and it's a kind of a social drug. I go, well, hell, I love recreation and I like social too. Let me have some. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, six, seven years later, I'm buying it on a weekly basis. I'm using it every day. I became addicted to it. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't have, I, I was, I lacked a lot of knowledge about addiction. I got educated, went back, went to school to be a counselor and learned a lot more there. I, but I did, I just developed a lot of passion in that treatment center to help others. 
because I, I felt that there was just a lot of ignorance in our society about it. And I wanted to help educate and, and show that there's another way you can live. Awesome. Well, I want to thank NFL guard Bob Newton for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your experiences. We really appreciate you being on. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Those, those were all really good questions. I want to remind everybody, hit that like and subscribe button. We'll see you all next time. Have a great night.